I'm not going to be before you too long this morning. I am excited, though. I get excited. See, sometimes when I feel like God gives a certain kind of message, I, I don't know about you, but this is different kinds of messages. Like there's some messages that just kind of like motivate and inspire. There's some messages that just kind of like check you. There's messages that you just need to take, digest it, and go home and do something about it. Today is one of those messages you just need to take, digest, and go home and do something about it. And I'm excited about that. We have been on the series, Just Living My Best Life, and Pastor Pierre has been preaching about this topic. He's been coming from the parable. He started this with the parable of the sower. For those of you who are unfamiliar, there's a parable of the sower where it says the, the sower comes out and he's sowing some seeds. And as he throws the seeds, it says some, and I have the scripture if they have it up. It said in Matthew chapter 13, it said the seed falling on rocky ground refers to those who hear the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. So there's some seed that is thrown and it lands on rocky ground. And, it, and maybe it, it, it can be representative of maybe some people sitting in a room today or maybe you were sitting in a room last week and the, the word went forth. And in a moment, it felt good in a moment. It sounded good. You may have left out of here with a lot of motivation and, and enthusiasm. But the minute something happened, the minute you received the text when you got to the car, the minute you got that email, the minute you got that phone call, the minute you checked that bank account, it's like what was sown was automatically, just, it, it just went away. It just went away. It didn't last long. And it says, it says, but since they have no root, it only lasted a short time. Verse 22, it said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So he said, there's some seed that fell along the thorns. And it could be representative, again, of maybe you sitting here and it says you could be so wrapped up in the affairs of life. You can care so much about the things that's going on in the world, things that's going on in your personal life. And it may be very real things. But because you're so wrapped up in it and it's like it, it automatically chokes it out. It said in even the deceitfulness of wealth. I don't know if you ever talk to somebody and everything they do. All they talk about, I'm just chasing after this bag. I'm just trying to get to the money. And it's this deceitfulness of wealth that can choke out the seed that was sown so it never gets a chance to grow. But then he gets to this part. He said, but then it was seed that fell on the good soil. It said the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let me get to this message because... I've been in church for a while, maybe like some of you have, and I've heard messages on this parable of the sower preached different ways. And a lot of times the messages pretty much evaluate who you are. Are you the one with the seed that fell on a rocky path? Are you the one who the seed fell along the thorns and the weeds? Or are you the one with the good soil? And I know that there's a, there's a place and there's a, there's, a, there's a time for that. There's a time for self-evaluation to see who you are. But if you're like me, I like to get to the good part. 
I like to get to the good stuff. I'm like, I'm like, listen, I, I know there's, there's, there's different types of people, but if the good soil is where the fruitfulness comes from, if the good soil is where there is, 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 is evidence of God working, evidence of transformation, evidence of fruit, production, could, could you just tell me how to get good soil? I want to know, I want to be fruitful. I want to be productive. I want to know what that looks like. I want to know what it means to live a life that's transformed. What do I have to do to cultivate good soil? And so today I want to talk to you about how do we cultivate good soil? Now, if you heard me speak before, you probably heard me say I wasn't the best student in school. I was not the best student in school. There were some subjects I was, I was better at than others, but one subject I was absolutely terrible at was science. Without a shadow of doubt, don't give me a science test. Don't ask me anything about agriculture. Don't ask me anything about gardening, weeds, none of that stuff. I have no, I don't, don't ask me nothing about that. But it's 2023. And they have this thing out. Some people are for it. Some people are against it. I'm not making a case for it right now. I'm just saying it's helped me a lot. There's this thing that they have. It's called AI. There we go. It's this thing called AI. And the thing about AI, you can ask AI anything. And it kind of it gives you a, a legit answer. So I asked AI, I said, hey, is it possible to cultivate good soil? Is it possible to cultivate good soil? It told me, it said, absolutely, CJ. And then it knows my, I, I use it way too much. It said, absolutely, CJ. You can cultivate good soil. It says, as a matter of fact, gardeners, farmers, and land, land managers do it all the time. It says, here's some of the things that they do to cultivate good soil. It says they, they do water management. I won't go into each one of these, what they mean. Water management. It said crop rotation. Soil testing, organic matter addition, which is things like mulch, compost, manure. They put all these things. It says they do these things. They cover the soil. They water it. It's a bunch of things you can do to cultivate good soil. And so as I'm reading this and I'm thinking through and I'm reading through the scriptures and I'm praying, God begins to show me again how a lot of times in the Bible, God is referred to as kind of like this, this good farmer, this, this gardener of sorts. And he takes a lot of time cultivating us, like trying to get us to the point where we could be fruitful and production. And pr 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 what's the word? Pr and produce. Let me get AI. <laughs> he, he tries to get us to this point. But here's the thing. A lot of times when it comes to God, how things work is God does his part. But then we have to do our part. God will do his part, but we have to do our part. And I feel like a lot of times we get caught checking on God just to make sure God is doing his part. Is it just me? It's like, God, I just want to make sure you still heard my prayer. God, I want to make sure you didn't forget about me. God, I want to make sure you still see me. Because the way my life is looking right now, I think you might have forgot. I want to encourage you and, and, and just, just give this to you. I'm not as old as some or not as young as some, but in my 35 years of living, here's what I can tell you I learned about God. God will always do his part. Yeah. 
You don't have to check on God. You don't need to micromanage God. And just and, and as if we doing that is helping God to do his part. God is God. God is good. God is faithful. He's going to do what he's going to do. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part? And when it comes to cultivating good soil, where we can be fruitful and productive, I kind of want to give you this thing, right? I want to give you, so this idea of checklist. Everybody say checklist. This idea of checklist was given to me by Pastor Josh. And he gave me this, this, this checklist when I, when I came on staff. He said, CJ, any good manager, any good pastor, any good leader, they have like this checklist of things that they have to do. And so he gives me this checklist of about 598 things. I'm like, bro, relax. Like, and I'm looking at this checklist. It's, it's, I don't know. How, how many of you have here, here use a checklist? How many of you here use a checklist? How many of you have like checklists have checklists? Y'all the good ones. We need, we need all of you to join the team. Go um, intro to serve right after this. We need you. But as I'm going through this, and I'm looking through, I'm like, this is a ridiculous amount of, of things. But here's what happens. As you begin to use the checklist, you begin to realize that there's some things that you might have missed. There, 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 there's some things that, that need to happen to help you communicate better to people. Like, hey, all these things need to happen in order to make sure we're doing things the right way. And here's what I noticed about doing checklists. The more you begin to do it, it just kind of becomes second nature. You start doing it like, oh, you know what? Oh, yeah. It becomes second nature. So here's what I want to do. Because, because we don't need to, to check on God anymore. Here's what we need to do. We need a, a checklist to make sure we're doing what we need to do to make sure we're cultivating good soil. So I want to give you a checklist, and it's not going to be 598 things. It's just going to be three things. Is that cool? I'm going to give you a checklist of three things that we need to constantly check on with ourselves to make sure we are doing our part in cultivating good soil. And some of these things sound very, how do you say it? Like, huh? That? What? I want to actually, I, I want to, can I, I wanna, can I give you this, this quick scripture? I want to give you this scripture. Th thank you, Janine. I want to give you this quick scripture. In 2 Kings, I, I feel like, I feel like I, I just want to help you a little bit. And, say, and they don't have this scripture. It hit me a little late. In 2 Kings 5.10, there's this guy called Naaman. And he needed to get healed. He had leprosy. And so he goes to Elijah. And it says this. I'm going to skip over it. It says, Elijah sent a messenger to him and says, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And your flesh will be restored. And you will be cleansed. But Naaman, um, did I say Naaman? I might have said another name. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some, some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? 
So he went and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. Why did I read that? Because what I'm about to give you, it may seem like something that's like, like why, like, like why, why, why that? Why this? So we can, we can be like Naaman. When Naaman is like, you know, I, I just thought the answer to my problem was God coming down in some miraculous way and waving his hand over me and healing me and me and all my needs. If, that, if that's not happening, what, what sense does it make to do what CJ's about to say? Can I tell you, sometimes it's just the ordinary things. Sometimes it's just the ordinary things that we have to do in order to see what God wants to do in us. So here's the uh, number one on the checklist. So I'm going to call this the soil cultivation checklist. First thing we need to check. Check your devotion time. Check your devotion time. Now, some of you are like, what is devotion time? Devotion time is just time that you set aside to spend with God. Time you set aside to spend it with God. Worship, pray, meditate, read the Bible. Just time you set aside to spend with God. And I'm going to add this. You do it daily. Now, here's what happens. I speak to a lot of people. People may be struggling with certain things. Like, CJ, I'm just going through this in my in my relationship, I'm going through this with my kids. I'm going through this at work. You know, it's just a lot of stress. You know, every, everything is like bugging me right now. It's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and they telling me all the stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. Before, before we start diagnosing and, and like getting to stuff, let me ask you, like, what does your devotion time look like? They like, uh, you know, it's, you know, I don't, I don't really, I just got so much stuff going on. Like, I got the kids, I got, I got, I got to take them to school, I got work. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, all right, so, like, could you wake up earlier? I mean, wake up early, I mean, that, that's kind of early. What about, what, what, what about your lunch break? Like, could you take some time during lunch? Yeah, but then when I'm going to eat? All right, well, what, what about bedtime? Right, right, well, by the time the day is done, I'm just tired. So you have no time for devotion. I mean, if your schedule is too busy for God, you're too busy. If your schedule is too busy for God, you're just too busy. And here's what I tell people. I say, listen, it's, it's, it's kind of kind of like working out. Like, I, I don't want to scare anybody off because maybe you were with me up until I said daily. Like, I could do it like once or twice a week. Listen, I, I, I hope you all a little bit, because I say this with people that I exercise with. Like, if you go from not exercising at all to just doing once or twice a week, it's better than doing nothing. So I don't want to scare you off and make you feel like, yo, if I'm not doing this each and every day, then I'm failing. Like, I know, I know the steps, and I know this progress, but we should have a goal to be checking in with God. Isn't it crazy how we better at checking on God every day, but we won't check in with him every day? We need to set, some, some of you, even before you leave, and I hope you take notes today, some of you just need to set an alarm. This time every day, I'm going to be intentional about setting time with God every day. I don't care if it's five minutes, I don't care if it's ten minutes, fifteen, whatever, some of you are more mature, some of you could do it three hours. God bless you. We need you to join the team too. 
but check in with God each and every day. I tell you, I am never more loving. I am never more kind, more patient, more gentle, more joyful, more peaceful. I am never more any of those things than when I'm spending time with God every day. And when I'm talking to people, when they're telling me some of the stuff they're going through, I'm like, man, I feel like some of this is just alleviated when you just start spending time with God every day. Can we, can we, can we do first things first? Before we start doing all that, let's, let's, let's start with spending time with God. Let's see what that does first. And then we get to some of the other stuff. Number one, check your devotion time. Number two, number two is kind of like a, it's like a 2A and 2B. I'm going to kind of put a slash in it. Second thing we need to check. If we want to make sure we're doing our part in cultivating good soil that produces fruit, you need to check your feed. F-E-E-D. And I'm going to put 2B, check your feed slash check your community. Let me help you. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what I mean when I say check your feed, it's kind of a social media term. When he when talks about your social media feed, it's the thing that you are constantly scrolling through and it's, you're letting into your Ear letting into your eye, letting into your spirit, your feed. What are you letting in? What are you letting in? I know people who spend like eight, ten hours on TikTok. I like TikTok. It's funny. But eight to ten hours of nonsense will destroy you. And then, and, then, and then you walk around and wonder, like, why in the world am I like, because you spent eight to ten hours on TikTok, but you found no time for devotion. I mean, it's simple math. Unless it's me, unless I'm bugging. I could be bugging. And so it's like, check your feet. I tell people this all the time. This is, I'm not saying what I'm about to say is for everybody in the room. Like, this, this is just something that CJ practices. So please don't say CJ said this was sin. But here's what I noticed. There's a distinct difference when I listen to secular music and when I'm not. You can put it on whatever you want to put it on. Whatever, whatever you want. But there's, there's something that happens when I'm, if I'm listening to secular music, I, I tell my wife, I'm like, yo, I just feel like I, like it's, I just can't like hear God as like clearly as I can like when I'm not listening to it. It's, it's just a difference. I don't know what to put it on necessarily. I just know there's a difference. So for me, that's something I check. Like anytime I'm feeling like, yo, God, I, I haven't, I, I like, I, I'm just like, I just feel a little far. I just go back and check. Go back to the checklist. What have you been putting in? Oh, yeah, it's kind of, it's been a little sus. It's just me. Or can we be honest? Sometimes what we put in is a little sus. Your number one feed, though, is honestly your community. Your community. Here's what I notice when it comes to community. When it comes to community, when I needed to check my community, here's one of the, it's like three different things that I have to check when it comes to my community. Number one is do I have one? Please don't leave without writing this stuff down. Do, do I have one? Do you have a community? There's some people who just quite honestly have zero community. You have nobody around you. You have nobody pouring into you. You have nobody who you can eat with, laugh with, do life with. 
So when you have something good happen to you, you have nobody to celebrate with. When you're going through tough things, you have nobody to go to and, and share that with who can pray with you. What does your community look like? Maybe some of you here, and I know I keep bringing up the whole intro to serve and joining teams because I feel like it's super important. Maybe some of you here right after this, maybe a step into getting community is joining a team. Maybe it's being part of a group. This might hurt a little bit, but some you might have to come to church more than once a month. Again, maybe I'm bugging. But again, you have no community. You have to start putting yourself in position to get some community. Here's another part of community that we need to check. Sometimes you have community, but you have the wrong type. So sometimes the people around you, sometimes the community you have around you, you have to let go so that you can grow. I see so many times, so many people sacrificing their growth on the altar of this relationship that they just can't let go of. What if in order for you to start growing, you have to let go of that relationship that's so hard for you to let go of? And I know it's tough because some of us have relationships with people that was there for us at the worst point of our lives. But it has become quite evident that that relationship is now holding you back. And it's time for you to let it go. The question is, will you? Or are you more loyal to the person than you are to your growth and what God has for you? Here's the next part. Sometimes you have none. Sometimes you have someone you need to let go. This is for some people in the room. Sometimes you just have to expand your community. There's some, there's some people just like, you know what, it's just me and my day one for the last 15 years. And you ain't growing the last 15 years. And maybe you need to open up your arms and let somebody else in. I know it's tough. I know you, was, I, I know you got burnt in the past doing it. But now it's time to open up your arms and start letting people in again. Maybe you, some of you here haven't let people in because you believe the lie that I, that I believed once in my life. The lie that after a certain age or in a certain season of my life, I can't make any more friends. There was a point in my life where, and I look back now and I just laugh. I'm like, man, that was, I, I couldn't have been further from the truth. There was a point in my life where I'm like, I, there's, there's just no way I'm making any more friends. After high school, psh, how? I know it's crazy. Like, how could I ever make any more friends? Like, where am I making more friends at? I'm not even interested in it, quite honestly. I'm good. God blew that completely out of the water. And maybe somebody here just needs to hear, you can make more friends no matter what season in life you're in. So if you believe the lie that you can't, it's a lie. And go out and see what God would do. I'm going to go to this next part and I'm going to end. I don't want to be here too long. This next one is the most important one. So it is. Check your devotion time. Check your feed slash check your community. Here's the very last one. And Rufus can start playing any time. I'm done. I told you this is simple. Last one is this. Do me a favor. Look at the person next to you.
and say, check your obedience. Was it just me or did it get loud after everybody realized it was obedience? <laughs> check your obedience. Can I tell you a lot of times the fruitfulness that you're looking for is attached to your obedience. It's attached to your willingness to just obey whatever God told you to do. The first miracle Jesus ever performed in the Bible, he turned water to wine. I want to take you to the story right quick. And we're going to get ready to get out of here. She said, take your time. I love this story. I love this story. Because I feel like this story is the blueprint. It's not just the first miracle Jesus performed. It's the blueprint to how he performs miracles, period. Here's what he said. In, in John chapter 2, verses 4, they add a wedding. They run out of wine. And Jesus' mother, Mary, she goes to Jesus and said, hey, they ran out of wine. Jesus wasn't feeling it. And so in verse 4, Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, this is what she said. And I don't know how many times I read this story. I don't know how many times you read this story. But this is perhaps the most powerful line in this whole story. Mother, she went to his servants and said, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I don't know if Mary, because she was his mom, had been around him his whole life and probably seen evidence. Like, I don't know what it is. But anytime you do whatever he tells you to do, something happens. So maybe she went and she said, I don't know what's about to happen. But, hey, here's the key. Do whatever he tells you. No matter how silly it seems, do it. No matter if it doesn't line up, just like Nike, just do it. Whatever he says do, just do it. And so they go. And here comes Jesus with the instructions. It said, nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted that the water had been turned into wine. He did not recognize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom and said, and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheat wine after, but you have served the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let me paraphrase this just a little bit. Jesus says, all right, they need more wine. Here's what we're going to do. He said, you see those buckets over there, the kind that they use for ceremonial washing? The dirty ones? Go fill those up with water. I know about you, but me, I, I probably would have started questioning right then. Like, what? Water into the ones for ceremonial washing? For wine? But like Mary said, do whatever he tells you. So they go and they get it, and they fill it, and after they fill it, Jesus says, now, draw it out. 
And I don't know about you, but I went and I looked back in the story and I'm looking for the point. Like at what point did the water actually turn to wine? At what point did it actually turn to wine? Because I looked back at the story and I didn't see the part where like Naaman said, he was waiting for Jesus to raise his hand over the water and turn it to wine. It's like that part never happened. And as a matter of fact, it said, draw it out. And when he said, draw it out, I'm looking for where it said, like, did it say they drew it out and it was wine? But then I look back and it says when they took it to the master, it said the ones who had drew the water knew where it came from. So I'm like, hold up. They put water in. They took it out and it was still water. I don't know about you, but I probably would have looked at the water and said, hey, God, it's not wine yet. Like, God, we asked for water. Now, we done took the tubs and we put the water in it. And we took it out and it's still water. And now you want us to walk this water over to the... And they're looking at God. I could imagine I'm looking at God like, where's the, where's the wine? And God is looking at them like, walk the water walk the water because sometimes until we walk the water we'll never see the water transform the wine can I tell you it's, 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 it's often ordinary acts of obedience that lead to extraordinary transformation ordinary acts of just God I don't get this it's still water but I'm going to walk this water and I'm believing that at some point by the time it gets to its destination it's going to be what you said it's going to be because God always does his part. Will you do yours? I wonder how many of us have been looking at our situation just waiting for the wine. Just waiting for it to turn the wine in order for us to move. And God said it will turn the wine when you learn how to walk the water. It will turn the wine when you know how to just take and just do whatever I tell you to do. I told this story in youth and I just want to share it here because I feel like it may be necessary. I remember I was in college and we had a, there was a, my financial aid bill. Now, if any of you have been in college before, you know how serious financial aid is. So I had my financial aid bill coming up. And how it works is if you don't pay your financial aid, they'll block you from registering from classes for the next semester. And so I'm about a day out. It's like tomorrow is the next day before they block me from registering for classes for the next semester. And I don't have $7,000. I need $7,000. And I'm in, I'm, I'm in my apartment. And I'm getting the calls and the emails and the texts. I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. So I get down on my knees and I just start praying right there in my apartment at the time. I'm like, God, I need 7000 I can't take out no more loans. I, there's nothing else I could do. And so God is like, I just felt him say it to me. He said, go down to the financial aid office. I hate the financial aid office. Like nothing good happens at the financial aid office. So I'm like, all right. So I start walking down the financial aid office as I'm walking 
through campus, I see some people who I know, they're like, hey, CJ, what up, what up, what up? I'm like, yeah, like my mind is going. I'm just thinking like I'm going to this place. I hate going. So I get to the financial aid office, and I've said this before. If you don't know, my actual government name is Roland. So I get to the front. The financial aid person calls me. They say, hey, Roland, you can come on up. And I get there, and they're like, hey, Roland, how can we help you? I said, hey, um, I need $7,000 because my account is about to be blocked and I can't register for classes. They said, well, okay, like, could you take out any more loans? I said, no, there's no more loans I could take out. They said, well, well, could you take out, can your parents take out a loan? I said, no, my parents can't take out any more loans. They said, well, what about grants? I said, oh, my grants have been uh, 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 done with. Like, there's, there's nothing else I could do. They said, well, Mr. Cody, like, we're, we're sorry. There's nothing we could do for you. I said, okay. And I just sat there. And the financial aid person was looking at me just the way y'all looking at me right now. And I'm just sitting there. They're like, hey, Mr. Cody, like, can we help you? I said, yes, I need $7,000. Because my financial aid bill is coming up tomorrow and I won't be able to register for classes. They said, Mr. Cody, I'm like, I'm really sorry. There's nothing we could do. And I wish I was making this up. But I'm not. But I had nothing else to do, so I literally, I still, I just sat there. I know to them I may have looked dumb. To the people waiting online behind me, I may have looked dumb. They're like, can you get this guy out the way? College is done for you. It's over, bro. So I'm sitting there still. And they ask me the same question. Can we help you? And I give them the same answer. I said, I need $7,000 because my account is about to close. They said, give us a second. They get up. They go to the back. And they come back out. They're like, Mr. Cody, why didn't you tell us you were part of this program? To this day, I have no idea what program they was talking about. They said, why didn't you tell us you were part of this program? Your $7,000 is covered. And you never have to come back into the financial aid office the rest of the time you're at Syracuse University. I get up from the seat and I start walking. And as I'm walking, God showed me. He said... The miracle happened the minute you started walking down to the financial aid office. Because it's oftentimes, it's the ordinary steps of obedience that'll lead to the extraordinary transformation. I don't know how many of you need this. But for somebody, your extraordinary isn't checking your devotion time. You waiting for this miraculous thing and God is like, you want good soil? You want a soil that's going to produce? I need you to check in with me daily. I need you to stop procrastinating on this and start doing it. You want to be productive? I need you to check your feed. I need you to check your community. This is what I need you to do. And I know it still doesn't sound miraculous. But obedience leads to miraculous. What ordinary step haven't you done? And for that reason, you're still checking on God. God, did you hear me? God, God, do you still see me? God's like, did you do what I told you to do? And maybe some of you are like the way I would have been when he filled up the water jars and probably stopped once I realized it wasn't wine. Let me tell you, partial obedience is disobedience. See it through. This is for somebody who, who's been tempted to stop because it doesn't look like anything yet. 
This is for the person who, who's just looking at it like, like, God, I don't see anything yet. I've actually been doing devotion time for the past month. God said, make it two, three months. Keep going. Keep going. Because the question of faith is never whether or not God is going to show up. It's whether or not you'll still be standing there when he does. Will he show up and see that you still walk in the water? Will he show up and find out you still doing devotion time? Will he find out, show up and find out you still expanding your community and cutting off those relationships you don't need to cut off? And it's as you do those things daily, each and every day, you're cultivating soil. You're cultivating the soil. And you produce 160, 30 times what you probably ever thought. Can you do me a favor? Everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray over everyone in here. There's a song that they used to sing when I was growing up. I'm not going to sing it now. My voice is done. But the song was called Trust and Obey For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Father God I pray for each and every person in this room that they will learn to trust and obey you even when it doesn't look like much even when it seems silly even when it takes long Father God may they continue to do what you told them to do because you are a God you are the good farmer And you will always do your part. So may you help us to do ours. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to leave with just this one thing. Because the title of this series has been just living your best life. Remember this. Your best life is a surrendered life. It's a life that's laid down. Willing to do whatever God says. Be blessed.